Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, presented by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we catch up each month with current stars, rising stars, and legends from the past from USA Water Ski and Wake Sports and its nine sport disciplines. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit It Podcast. I have a great episode in store for you here today. Recently, the Adaptive Water Ski World Championship took place and Team USA winning the gold once again in 2023. Among those team members representing the USA was team athlete Connor Pagetto. Connor won the gold medal in the seated men's trick and overall events and also took a silver in jumping. It was really good to have the opportunity to speak with Connor and talk to him about his technique in all three events, slalom, trick, and jump, and what it takes to bring home the gold. I was also joined by professional slalom skiing athlete and adaptive USA team coach, Brian Detrick. We gained valuable insights on coaching from a team perspective from Brian and also the preparation leading up to the 2023 World Championships. It was really cool to catch up with these two California boys and we get their insights on adaptive water skiing. I know you're not going to want to miss this one, so here's my interview with Connor Pagetto and Brian Detrick. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Hit It Podcast. Super excited for this episode here today. We're going to talk about adaptive water skiing. And I've got Connor Pagetto and Brian Detrick in the virtual studio. Hey, guys, what's going on? And hey, look, look forward to it. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Hey. Brian, what's been happening, man? Hey, Tyler. Uh, doing well. We just ended the World Championships for, for Adaptive about a month ago. And it was a lot, a lot of work and preparation and during the event. And it's nice to have a, a little break from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Team USA comes up on top again in the world championships we're going to recap that on this episode and we also with connor man this is going to be a great episode the first time i got to see you ski was at the masters i want to say it was like three or four years ago now i can't believe how fast time flies i got to see you jump there and we're going to talk a lot about the world tournament we're going to talk about adaptive skiing and slalom trick and jump and obviously team usa but connor the one of the reasons that we have you and brian on the same episode is you guys have been training together for quite some time, coming up with goals that are individual, also team goals on Team USA. But Connor, tell us a little bit how you got introduced to the sport and how you and Brian met. So I started water skiing really, really young. I started water skiing when I was six years old with Disabled Sports Far West at the time and now Achieve Tahoe. And it was just more of like a recreational kind of once a month maybe and uh, when they did the Learn to Ski Days. Moving on through that, snow skied more and more. And then 2011, I started kind of competing a little bit more with water skiing. And that's when I actually met Brian and his family and everybody out, of, out at Shortline Lake in 2011 at my first regionals. And then ever since then, it's been kind of always been working with Brian, working with the coaches and uh, ever since. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And then Brian, you meet this guy named Con- Connor and like, you know, it's like you guys come together and. That was, that was the most impressive thing I ever seen. Like we were sitting there, we were, we knew Connor was coming in for a big jump. We don't know what it was measured at, by the way, the first time I saw you ski, Connor, I know that you wanted it measured, but you probably think it was a record. I think it was, it was one of the most impressive jumps I've ever seen. And we're going to see it here in this podcast of what you were able to put together at the world tournament. 
but a tremendous athlete, Brian, when you take a look at Connor and what he's been able to accomplish in the sport. Yeah, from the get-go, we saw the drive and, and the interest that Connor had in the support. And with him being local to Sacramento, my family and I, uh, you know, extended that invite to be able to come out and train at short line with us and, you know, make it a little more convenient for him. As many know, the, the Sacramento region has, has a, a huge opportunity for water skiing with the amount of lakes and you know, being able to provide him uh, with that opportunity. And I grew up around disabled skiing with the disabled uh, regionals uh, and clinics being hosted at, at uh, the home site at Shortline Lake. So ever since I was two or three, uh, I've been around the sport. And so it's great to have somebody uh, local and, and young uh, that really took to the sport. Absolutely. And Brian, it's going to be interesting to get your perspective on slalom skiing when we break that down in just a second, because you're part of that elite, elite, elite club of multiple 41s that have been ran in competition. And to see how some skills may be the same, some skills may be adjusted. And that's where I want to go with the next question. Connor, talk to us a little bit about adaptive skiing and adaptive skiing for you. So adaptive skiing as a whole, we have a couple different categories, really, that get broken into. You, you're blind amputee or seated is really the biggest, those are the main three. Inside of those categories, it gets broken down a little bit more. For seated, there's five different categories going from an MP5, which has kind of the most mobility or ability to move. And then an MP1 would be like a quad who is wrapping the handle around their wrist or putting it in their elbow or anything like that. So they're not, they don't actually have hand control or hand grip to hold onto the handle. When you get to the amputee side of it it's how much of an arm do you have how much of a leg do you have which ways do you hold on to the handle if you do have some part of your arms and then some for like a leg amputee do you ski with your prosthetic or without those are kind of the differences there with blind it's completely can't see anything can you see shapes and or light differences and with that you can also wear like blackout goggles which is really just a pair of goggles that has a bunch of duct tape in it and uh, make sure you can't see anything. So those are the breakdowns of how disabled water skiing is broken up. And there are so many different similarities and also a lot of differences. The minute, some of the minute details between ale body skiing or disabled skiing are similar, but there's a, the, when you get into the fine details, it, there is some bigger differences. Absolutely. And you compete in slalom, trick, and jump. So the same as skiing like brian's a slalom skier you're a slalom skier so it's going to be interesting because i'm going to pull up some videos and we'll just get right into it these yeah. are videos from the world tournament and i'm going to start with a slalom one let me share my screen here and see if we can let me see if i could do this all right we're going to share this screen and for california boys this is a pretty familiar site here yes. uh, where the world tournament was Connor, can you see that screen? Brian, yeah. can you see it? Yeah, we can. Okay. Connor, walk us through here of, of what you're doing out there on the slalom skiing. Again, six full buoys here. You got to yep. go through the entrance gates. You got to go through the exit gates. You're in the seated position. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about, I believe this is your opening pass and what you're starting out at. Okay. So if this is my opening pass, um, let's come out 40K. And biggest thing is just like able body skiing. Nice and wide gate keep the outbound direction, um, rolling around the buoy, skiing to that handle instead of pulling it in is a big one, obviously. But nice and patient, opening pass, just kind of cruising, making sure you're 
remember what that lake feels like, even though I've skied there a bazillion times. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the interesting thing as I observed that video is your edge change, right? And it goes back to replay. It's it's a double wake jump, but I, I noticed and I would think it would be ideal to keep the ski in the water as much as possible without bouncing too much into the buoy. Can you tell us a little bit about the transition off the wake and into the buoy? So the, that's a big one too. And that's the, one of the biggest differences between able body skiing and disabled skiing is you guys have like your knees to compress and absorb that weight. We necessarily don't. So it's tough in that aspect. As long as you're staying and landing on that outbound edge, on the outside edge, keeping that outbound direction. And that's really what we're looking for. And I think that's a big one that Brian can attest to that pretty, pretty greatly as well, just in the ability to absorb with the knees and everything. Yeah, Brian, tell us a little bit about that, because I know in skiing and, you know, the recent decade, you know, we we went from the terminology of pulling through the wakes or leaning through the wakes to more about a swing through the wakes to the buoy and getting outbound. And one of the things I noticed that Connor does so well is like his apex, he's already coming back into the buoy as he passes the buoy. He's not way down course. Tell us a little bit about his swing as we take a look at this second pass. Yeah, so just similar to able body, uh, as Connor mentioned, it all starts with the gate, you know, being nice and wide as, as we see there and, and staying connected off second wake, as Connor mentioned, the importance of, of that edge change. And I think one of the big differences between able body and, and adaptive is the, the margin of error, especially when getting separated. When if if able if the adaptive skiers uh, get separated, they don't have the legs, you know, to fully reach out to to extend, because and and then be being able to bring you know your feet and lower body back through, and so that makes it so much more important uh, for the adaptive skiers of staying connected off the second wake keeping the tension on the line, riding that outbound, that swing uh, that you're referring to, to be able to set them up with, with space in front of the buoy. Absolutely, absolutely. Connor, when you get an opportunity to jump in the boat and watch Brian, are there some things that you can pick up from him, his skiing that you try to transition to your skiing? I think that's a big thing too. I think when we're, say, I, we're coaching and switching seats there for a little bit, is some of the little hand positions because my for me my hand position is so much more important than really anything else so he might pull out and do something a little different with his hand and say hey i'll notice that a lot faster than somebody else might because that's the first thing i'm looking for i'm not necessarily looking at his hips all the time or his knees or anything like that because at the end of the day i don't really use mine so um that his hands or his shoulder positioners his reach or anything like that would be something I would notice first. I think those are the biggest separators. And I think a big benefit too, with being able to watch somebody at a level of Brian skiing and doing those differences that I can pick up and see those minute details that do actually translate further down. Yeah. It's incredible to take a look at those <laughs> videos and the swing and the coordination that you have getting back and forth across the wake and just the width and the outbound momentum is absolutely incredible. I'm going to try to bring up another video here because in trick skiing, two 20-second passes, I guess that's the same rules, isn't it, Connor? All the same rules. The only difference is there's three other tricks that we okay. have, the double weight tricks, and then the reverses. So, okay. uh, 
<clears throat> Other than that, it's all the same rules, all the same tricks. Um, we just added three or six, however you want to look at it. Okay. And just like a trickster has the option to start with a back out of course, that looks like what you're doing and you did in the world championship. Correct. Yep. So yeah, walk this, us through, really walk us through this one because it looks, you know, like uh traditional skiing, you, you have a toe run, a hand run. It looks like you do a surface run and then you do a wake run. Pretty much. That's the best way to describe it. Yeah. So with skiing, now that we can do the seven fronts and then back to back sevens, and then <clears throat> reverses, my first pass is pretty much every single spin you can do. Uh, and then the second pass, I'll go into the wake tricks. <laughs> and dude, you are flying. You are spinning. <laughs> Brian, would you take a look at this trick rod? Like the speed in which Connor's able to knock these down. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. He's definitely uh, separated himself uh, in, in the adaptive side with, with the speed and and transitions uh, from from one trick to the next. Um, I would, you know, he he would be the Pato font, uh, you know, of, of adaptive <laughs> of how quick Pato is able to transition in and in and out of tricks. He keeps the line tension uh, that enables him to have that speed, and and that's what Connor has had a lot of success o- over his career in doing. And then with adding all the surface tricks that they're able to do, his just op- open the door to pile up the points yeah and one thing that i noticed when i take a look at that video is just your handle control connor i mean like you're so connected to the boat like brian was saying the rope is never loose so you're constantly connected it looks like you have your balance the whole way through what's your primary focus is that your primary focus on this particular run at this point my primary focus was mainly just making sure i didn't i kept spinning the right direction because it does get confusing Uh no but the biggest thing is making sure that tension is always in the line because the second I lose any bit of tension or any bit of uh, have any slack in there, it definitely has that slowdown because it's, it's tight. Getting everything in is very, very close. I got to make sure I keep all that tension all the way through. So you're coming in for pass number two here and you start inside the wake and there doesn't look to be a lot of spacing there. Is that because you're going wake to wake for the most part here? Yeah. So we shorten the rope here and make it a little easier. So you get those double wake tricks so we can go a little bit faster here we'll start with single wake fronts and backs and the reverse and then go right into double wakes that is just so and so impressive i mean <laughs> the control able to land on the right part of the wake you know we talk a lot about in trick skiing casing the wake or landing on top of the wake or getting stuck down into the trough mm-hmm. i would assume finding finding the right wake height. I mean, do you guys adjust balance too in there and put more weight in to, to make sure you're landing in the right spot? A little bit. The biggest difference is going to be we'll pick and choose different boats and how the boat's reacting. So for this, this was a different boat than what we were kind of training with. So just making sure we can get everything lined up and ready to go so it's ready for the finals. We used it a little bit as a kind of a practice run and go for it. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> So trick skiing, that means we're we're almost to my favorite event, which is the <laughs> jumping event. And I just, this is so impressive. And, and, and I have to build context for this. So Connor's coming in. Uh, we're doing an exhibition at the Masters. He's jumping. And I don't know how far that jump was. It looked like at the World Tournament, you go over 80 feet. What was your best jump at the World's? 83 feet was my best at once. 83 feet. I mean, <clears throat> unbelievable. 
And we'll notice it's almost what we call a three-quarter cut. But are you looking at a five, six, and 700-foot buoy? Is that still kind of your gauge into the ramp? Yep. So all of that's the same. Um, so jump rules are exactly the same as aerial body rules. So biggest thing, I know like Brian's a testament to this. It's like, oh, get your picture. Get your pictures um, when we're coming out. So I have a count off the 500. It's kind of like a six-second, seven-second count, um, depending on what it is off the 500 when I'm cutting out. So, well, this is, this is really, really impressive. So you get way on the side of the boat, you're over there by the driver, you make that initial turn in. And then, I mean, the spacing between the second wake and the ramp is there's not much distance there. Do you pass often? Or are you pretty much taking what, what you're getting after the second wake? It depends. Like if I'm, not happy with it or anything like that, then I'm, I'm passing. But uh, other than that, I'm going, cause it's a, just a regular split is the boat path. So it's not okay. like we're super close or anything like to the, we, we have some skiers who are literally like touching the, the skirt that'll go over. So we're, we're a little further out, got a regular split going and take it into the base and have some fun. Talk, talk to us a little bit about your body position coming into the base of the ramp, because you can see right at the end of that jump, almost like the tip wants to raise up before the landing. How do you maintain control so you're in a good landing position? What are you thinking about? Biggest thing is staying forward all the way, uh, but just keep making sure my hands stay down. So when my hands raise up, it allows that tip to come up, and that's what ultimately gets me in a little bit of trouble. So <laughs> the biggest thing is staying down and connected all the way through the base. I've, Brian's yelled at me I don't know how many times. If you stay down, hands moving, just little things. Because, like again, those hand positions that we were talking about earlier with slalom, Hands come into so much more play, and I think Brian can attest to this so much from when he's seen it from both the shore or the boat. If I pull in just a touch, it makes all the difference in the world of going upside down or staying flat and level. Yeah. And not yeah. Totally get it. Totally get it. Brian, as, as we watch and we take a look at this next jump, uh, tell us a little bit about what Connor's alluding to with his hands and trying to coach him into the base of the ramp. Yeah, so just trying try to keep tension, you know, similar we've talked about with, with Solomon and Trick. Uh, it's important in all three events. And by keeping that tension in the hands and not pulling in off that second wake as he comes into the base, it, it keeps the body position correct and as well as keeps that tension to allow that swing for that maximum pendulum in, into the base and, and off the top of the ramp that'll result in, in that distance. And so we've talked about the, you know, a lot of similarities uh, to able body in, in all three events. And it's the same for, for jump. Just the, the only difference is the, the impact, you know, obviously is, is strong for, for able body, but able body has, has needs to, to absorb uh, that impact. So Connor and, and the rest of the, the adaptive athletes, uh, it's definitely a, a big impact, uh, not only on, on, on the ramp, but as well as uh, on the landing at times. Absolutely. So, Connor, what is your personal best in jump? 83 feet is personal best. 83. So, so that was yeah. at the world tournament, your personal best. Yeah, I got a, I wow. tied it at the tournament. A, couple, a week before at the Labor Day record at Shortland, actually, we set a new national record of 83, beating the, current, the last one of 82. And then uh, obviously wanted to go a little further, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. 83, I'll, I'm very happy with. So that, that, I guess, begs the question. At 83 feet, you're probably looking at the century mark of trying to get to 100. Would that be accurate? 
that'd be that's the ultimate goal. That would be that's the goal. It's uh, it, it it's far. 80, 83 is far. Uh, or hundred yes. far. I I think I think Brian and I were talking about it a little bit too. I think that jump out worlds was the furthest ever done by a seated skier. Wow. I think that's so. Hard. What is it going to take to go a hundred? Is it because I want to know the philosophy here? You're on like a controlled, very controlled, very comfortable big jump three quarter. Is is it going to be a full cut, or is there things you can do within that three quarter cut that can make you go further? I think both options are there. I think staying down. I think having those hands down. I think there's a couple of jumps that at Worlds this last week last year or a month ago or so that if I stayed down hands low, I think it could have been closer to that 90 foot mark. Obviously things didn't go as planned accordingly for that one this last month. But uh, I think there's things that we can do to get to that 90 mark in the three quarter, but I think a double very possibly could be in the future. And, uh, but it's very calculated. My yeah. people always like, Oh, what do you, what's your plan? What's this? Whatever Brian and Matt and those guys come up with, I kind of stick to the, their system. They create a yeah. plan and we go from there. It's worked for me pretty well for the last what, 10 years. I'm going to stick to it. Don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it type of thing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it jumpers will tell you, and you know this just like everybody else. I mean, you got to respect the ramp. You, it's, sure. it's one thing to be respected. You always want to go further, but. There's always somebody talking to you in, in your head going, you know, may, maybe we'll just come up with a methodical approach. And looking at those jumps, Connor, though, I mean, they, they're as solid as can be. So I will not be surprised the day that you go 100 feet. And I hope that's very soon. Let's switch gears a little bit because this we're talking about the world <laughs> tournament in context. Of course, the world tournament and traditional skiing, slalom, trick and jump just happened at Travers Ski School. So we're just off of that world tournament. The Adaptive World Tournament was right before that. Brian, you've been part of uh, coaching Team USA for quite some time. Tell us a little bit about Team USA and this particular world tournament. Yeah, so we had a phen phenomenal tournament. As you mentioned, team took home the gold. Uh, we had over 14,000 points, team points, uh, which is going back in, in the records uh, as far back as we go back. It's the, it's the highest team score in at least 17 years. So just phenomenal performances just from start to finish. Uh, we had a first skier went out and, and set world record uh, for their category. Uh, so it really, uh, it was Alicia Nelson and, and she, you know, just set the tone uh, for, for the team and, and everybody picked up uh, from there. Connor, we were talking, yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. And, What's a little different for you making the team is Adaptive still has team trials. I know for Able Body, uh, for all the teams, gotten away from that. Uh, we're, we still hold uh, team trials. It's it's at the national championships, and you've got two rounds, and the top uh, six in, um, scores for each category uh, for or for each um, discipline: slalom, trick, and jump. And that's how uh, we picked a team and just starting with the highest overall uh, scores first and, and working our way down to the uh, two eventers and, and lastly, uh, single eventers, if there's still room on the team, because the max is 14 members. Wow, I really like the concept of team trials. I really haven't thought of team trials in a while. 
but the concept that it's held at national is different. You know, sometimes we thought about through the 80s and 90s of pairing the nationals with the U.S. Open, but I never really thought about maybe doing the nationals with team trials. So I like that idea. That's that's cool. And and Connor, you were talking about the competition throughout the world. These are tough competitions. It's not like uh, Team USA just walks away with these gold medals. There's some stiff competition depending on who's rising through the ranks at these countries. Tell us about some of your your biggest competition throughout the world. Yeah, I think the competition throughout the world is growing more and more. Uh, and I think that's the best thing for us. Um, when you roll in, just it's competing with yourself. It's not always that fun. You know what I mean? Like you got to have that drive and that push to go against somebody else. This last year, the overall race was the tightest it's ever been. I, I don't know exactly what the score was, but I think after the first round, or after prelims, it was like seven points, eight points away. There was a separating. So very cool. Very cool. Yeah. That that, that, and that's what makes overall so fun, right? Like you're, <laughs> oh, you're in sure. this thing, the whole tournament, you don't know what's going to happen. You got to go out and ski. It's not just like one round and you're done. Um, one thing I wanted, it, it, this is one of the things I enjoy going back and looking at those videos. And I remember watching you ski for the first time, Connor, is the passion you ski with. You get excited when you ski. You have a big jump, you're pumped up. You have a good yeah. trick run, you're pumped up. You have a good slalom, you're pumped up. Tell us a little bit about just skiing with that emotion and that excitement because it's so fun to watch. I think a lot of it comes down to all of that work that nobody sees. All of the time that you spend in the gym, if on the water, training, crashing, doing other things. I think that's so much of everything that you're working for outside of the tournament and it all comes together and clicks and that's what makes it that much better i've there's been many times that i've been sitting at short line and we go down and back and it's like yeah no i'm just i'm out i'm done like i can't like we're out i'm not i'm not slalom anymore like i can't do it there's something you're either in your head or anything like that and i think with brian again with having that high level skiing background as well you can not not all coaching is just done oh change your body position it's okay change your mindset. What are we doing? How are we getting out of our own head to do different things? Because before worlds for me, at least for slalom, the more I slalomed, the worse I got. Yeah. I didn't slalom like three weeks before worlds and it, it was great. And I was like, oh, this is way better. I was just overthinking and overanalyzing. And the same thing. It was just like, well, let's just not do it anymore and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things about training for any big tournament is like you, you feel like you've got to ski more, train more, and sometimes it works against you. So yeah, that's a very honest, you know, experience and observation that I know that a lot of athletes struggle with. They want to do their best. And then all of a sudden it's like overdoing it. I think that's a happy balance, a happy medium between that. And I think Brian's a big one for me on that. She's like, okay, well, cool. Hey, we're just not going to do this. We'll do one, maybe two events this day and we'll skip and do something else the next day and just go from there. Knowing and trusting the base that has been created over the years that at the end of the day, you understand what you're supposed to be doing. So when it comes time to that, just go do what you're supposed to. That's right. Hey, Brian, I'd love to ask you this question from a coach's perspective, because you got different personalities on the team. So you've got Connor on the team, uh, very passionate, you know, probably open to having conversations. And then you may have other skiers on the team that are more quiet. Talk to us a little bit about the personalities and just from a coaching perspective, how you address those different personalities that are on the team, because I know that can be a challenge. You know, you, 
you're going to have one personality where you might say something to that person and it clicks. And then you have another personality, you try the same thing and it's not really what they're looking for. And you got to find some different words. How do you manage different personalities on the team? Yeah, you got to treat everybody differently at times. And, and just, especially from a coaching standpoint, you, you need to know how to communicate to each individual. Uh, everybody receives information differently. And so with having a team this big, you know, 14 people, you definitely need to, some of them are new and I haven't had a ton of experience with them. So it's a little bit of learning on the fly. Uh, we always try to do a, a, a team training camp uh, before the world championships. And, you know, sometimes we've got the whole team uh, like we did in Norway. Everybody went early in 2019 and uh, with being in the States uh, that, this year, we had probably about half the team that came. And so that's where you're able to learn everybody's tendencies and how they communicate and, and personalities. And so it's just picking up uh, li little things from each of them uh, to try to be able to provide them the, the support uh, that's going to benefit them the most. Yeah, we've had. Jack Travers on the show. We've had Jay Bennett on the show. Both of those coaches obviously been part of the U.S. team coaching for a long time. And we were talking to him. It's like, you know, sometimes you you get in a team coach type of circumstance and you may have only seen this particular person ski a couple of times. And so it becomes not so much a technique thing as it is a mindset thing. And that's what Connor's kind of alluding to there is saying, hey, look, it's like, I need someone to tell me I'm over slaloming. Maybe I'll do something else. And it's really not changing technique as maybe as, as much as training and mindset. Brian, did you have any of those type of circumstances this year where you're just trying to like steer people in the right direction as far as their mindset going into the tournament? Yeah, definitely. We, we had uh, one skier. It was their only second tournament. Their first tournament was at the national championships and team trials last year. And, you know, very, you know, very new to the sport, but is a phenomenal uh, skier. Uh, they're, they're, it's Ab Abby Dunn. Her fir first event at the Nationals, she set a, a world record in, in her category and uh, had a little early fall at the, at the World Championships and, and the prelims, but still qualified for the finals and definitely focused on the mental side uh, because she came to the training camp and was skiing phenomenal. And so you could tell how nervous she was, you know, with being able to be in the boat for tricks. I could see that she was tense. So going into the finals, it was a lot of communication on trusting uh, all the work that has been done and letting her relax and kind of get out of her head and have just co normal conversations to distract her from those nerves. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Connor. You have been on a tear as far as gold medals, personal best, pushing the sport to 83-foot jumps. What's next, man? What's your goals? Goals moving forward, love to be able to, be able to break that 2,000 mark trick. That's a big one for me right now. There's, like I said, there's a little hiccup and lost a little bit of time on my run at Worlds, but uh, that's going to be a big one. And then a new jump record. 86 feet is the current record. It's been that way for a very long time. And uh, ideally, obviously, like you said, the ultimate goal is to see that 100-foot mark in a seated category. Biggest thing is 
baby steps to get there. It's uh, getting the right steps going, getting the right body position, and getting those moving forward. I think another big side of it is more of a team aspect side, getting back to constantly winning for the U.S. Um, out of Worlds is very important. We were going for our fifth in a row in 2017 and came up just short and uh, back in Australia. And so we're back on that track again. Okay, so now we're back to two in a row. Now let's make it three when we go back to Australia and keep going in these steps. And I think that's a big thing. I always We always talk about like Brian's testament to this too, is like we're there to win for the U.S. And when you're doing everything you can for the U.S. to win, other things come. And I think that's a prime example of what's going on. Um, just because we don't have, like Brian said, and you said earlier, we don't have individuals that are going to a Worlds. It's it's all U.S. team. The only people that are there are on a team for something. It makes it that much more kind of close-knit in that aspect and yeah. more of a, more, you got more, something else to really ski for, not just for yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, in skiing, it, it seems at times to get so individual and what your goals are and what you're doing. But if the ultimate goal is to bring home the gold medal for Team USA, you're pretty much interested in how everyone else is skiing all of the time because yeah. you're going to be skiing together again. And and that's what makes it so special uh, from that aspect. I really love that. You mentioned this a little bit, Connor, and I wanted to talk to you about just off-season work. We're about ready to head into just more of an off-season as the weather starts cooling off. What do you do in the gym as far as preparation to get ready for the season? My thing is it's the small things. It's So with us, we're moving, being in a chair, I'm moving all the time. Like my joints, my elbows, my shoulders. It's a lot of a maintained thing because my shoulders are your shoulders and your hips. And then my elbows are your elbows and your knees. So they're just doing double the amount of work. So it's more of a maintenance perspective than more of a building than anything like that. Obviously, we're all going to stay tuned to our randoms, like there's stabilizing muscles and making sure those are all solid. But the biggest thing is constantly moving and just being active and moving around is going to be um, where we're sitting. There's not like a set, oh, I need to go hit the gym five, six days a week and I'm bulking up or anything like that. No, it's more of a maintain and stay flat and steady. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting too, off-season work and you mentioned that bulking up and I think skiers have been more attuned to what the ideal kind of off-season work looks like, you know, um, for anybody, right? You, you, you may go into an off-season and somebody says, well, I need to get stronger. And then you put on five to 10 pounds, you realize you don't ride your ski the same way when you get back on it and those types of things. So finding that right balance is, is very difficult. We had Carl Roberts on this uh, podcast and he was talking about how he was doing certain lifts in the off season and then during the season. Uh, but he said, man, if I did one too many lifts, I wasn't ready to ski on Saturday. So he was like on this fine line of training. Like I need to be this strong, but if I go a little too much, it's too much. But um, Connor, do you find with your skiing? Cause I've said it throughout the years. And I think every skier has is like, there's no real substitute for skiing, but skiing. Right. Like if you're not skiing, oh. it's really, really hard to 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 bring something that's parallel to it. Oh, for sure. Like I prime example for me was in 2017, I blew my shoulder apart and had a bunch of tears in my labrum and everything. And coming back after that surgery, I was the strongest and most fit I was ever. 
coming back into a season. And I took one set and I thought I was going to die. I was like, <laughs> okay, hold on a second. I, just, I don't even know I can get it back on the swim platform. Like, what are we doing? Like, there's no, no substitute for actual ski. You could be in the best shape of your life and you're never going to be in ski shape unless you're skiing. Yeah, right. I agree. I 100% agree. If anybody's listening and doesn't know anything about water skiing, if you want to get into shape, yeah. go out, get on a ski. You, it will show you if you're in shape pretty quick. Brian, what does it mean to you as you know a coach for Team USA when you get to coach people like Connor with such terrific attitudes saying, hey, look, like we all need to be skiing good for Team USA. We want to bring home these golds. Like, that's got to be just a breath of fresh air to to know that such a big group of people working for a team goal, that seems to be top of mind for all of these skiers. Yeah, it is. And we've got a lot of veterans. Obviously, Connor, Connor's been around for a while, but uh, I would say he's in the, the middle of the pack uh, for the team. We, we have, you know, v- veterans like Craig Tim, Katie Mobby. Uh, Mike Royal that have been around for 25, 30 years of, of adaptive skiing. I mean, they're really, you know, some pioneers in, in the adaptive field. And they started started that precedent of, of that mindset with them. And so when Connor came in and now we have these newer athletes coming in, as I mentioned, you know, Abby and we had uh, Cam Delegati as uh, a first time world team member that it's the communication and and just from the get-go and so that's just what everybody's talking about and so when we have these new people come in that that's all they know and so i think it it starts at the top with that leadership we had craig craig and katie as our team captains and and i think that's where the the success has come from with with the leadership not only from the captains uh, but as well as athletes uh, like Connor and and some of the other ones that have been around for for a handful of years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, we we're connecting before this podcast, Connor, and I was telling you, I'm down in Texas in Houston, and then not too far away is Mark Turner in Austin. So I get the opportunity to ski with Mark sometimes because we ended up at the same tournaments. I actually skied at his site for regionals this year, so it's really good to connect with him. I'm just so excited that that's the spirit of Team USA and the adaptive world with so many people just aiming for the top of the podium. And that's top of mind. That's awesome to hear. This is kind of a statement, Connor, that I want you to finish out. I water ski because. I water ski mainly because it's something that gives you a complete different feel than anything else. I played soccer when I was younger. Obviously, I'm not running around anymore to go play soccer. Um, I was snow skiing as well. And then I got frostbite and I was like, yeah, no, this cold thing sucks. Let's switch this up a little bit here and uh, go back to summer. So that's kind of when my whole kind of life kind of flip-flopped a little bit where I really took into water skiing. And it was something that you've got to be on your A game every time. Such a small detail can make all the difference in the world of, oh, I twisted my hand left versus right. And now I'm floating here and not skiing anymore. Like all of those small details and having to be so precise, I think is what draw, drives me to keep going and keep skiing. Just because that kind of looking for that perfection and looking for that, that ultimate ride, really. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Brian, I water ski because. 
I'd say the the community, uh, the 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 people that I've been able to meet uh, from around the world and the cities and and states and countries that the sport's taken me to, and like Connor mentioned, there, there's nothing else like it. Being on the water and for you know me with slalom going 60, 70 miles an hour, uh, there, there's nothing else like it. Uh, enjoy the challenge uh, that the sport provides and really the the never-ending chase with with slalom skiing and doing everything i can on and and off the water to to be the best best skier i can be and i think growing up in the sport and i believe just the the foundation uh that it builds for life uh is unprecedented uh we're around adults you have to learn how to communicate uh, with, with adults and there's a lot of leadership opportunities with you know the judging and, and officiating and I've even at the collegiate side of, of putting on events and I think the the sport offers a lot of of those uh, experiences that really set people up for success and I know you grew up around the sport as well and I think that's where we see a, a lot of successful people, not only on the water, but but off the water with the sport. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, I can tell you this, Connor, you got a really, really, really good coach. Believe it or not, I grew up in the Western region. And since I'm talking to two California boys back then, I was a Colorado boy. And I actually had some records until this guy named Brian Detrick came into the scene. And yeah, you'd have to go way back into the archives because I think he got them all. <laughs> um, he's been doing it for a long time. He's been incredible for a long time. Um, and I know he knows what he's talking about. So guys, this has been a fantastic podcast and, and I always want to give an opportunity if somebody wants to reach out and find you guys or where they could find more information about adaptive skiing. I want you guys to be able to speak to that. So Connor, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they be able to find you? Any social media stuff, just my name, Connor Pugetto. Um, super easy. Reach out to me there. And if you guys, anybody's listening to this and needs setup stuff, needs gear, we've got some of the best setup people in the world on the West Coast and over here. So we can get you all dialed, get you set up and have stuff sent to you, get things set up so you can get back on the water um, and get on the water to begin with. So we've got tons of coaching over here. And if you come out and you want to ski, you want to do these things, always here. Sounds good. Sounds good. Brian, where can people find you? Yeah, social media as well. Most of it's just Brian Detrick or Brian underscore Detrick. And for, for adaptive, we've got the USA adaptive uh, waterski.org uh, website where you can find a lot of information. Uh, there's programs throughout the country that, that offer, you know, learn, learn to ski days and, and, you know, so taking advantage of no, no matter, you know, where you are in the country and no matter what your disability is. Like Connor's mentioned, uh, you know, we, we have athletes with all kinds of disabilities from, you know, any spinal cord uh, injury to double leg or, or single leg amputees uh, to blind, even, you know, individuals that have multiple disabilities where they might have an arm and leg disability. So we work with, you know, athletes of, of all abilities and, uh, you know, great opportunity. We've talked about the the positive uh, things about uh, water skiing and especially the adaptive side and just looking forward to continuing to grow, grow the sport 
uh, not only uh, on the able body, but the adaptive side and look forward to building uh, Team USA further. That's awesome. Well, guys, this has been a pleasure to catch up with you guys. And I also want to give a big shout out to Kelvin Kelm so much for putting the world tournament on YouTube. You can check out more of Connor and Team USA if you go to Kelvin Kelm's site there on YouTube, the whole world tournament. I think, what was it, four days, Connor? Was it four days? Yeah, four days. He's got all four days up there. Everything's on there. Didn't didn't miss a thing. So that's that's always good. (laughs) Got every moment. Well, guys, until next time, we're signing off. Thanks again for listening and come back for future episodes of the Hit It podcast as we catch up with current stars and legends of the sport. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida, and don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate this podcast. We'll see you next time.